Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm with you here today taking your calls and texts live on the air. I want to welcome all of those of you who are listening on Grace FM in Colorado and Southern Wyoming. Welcome to the program. We're glad you tuned in today. We also want to say hello to some of our syndicated stations. So we are now syndicated in two different markets um, in different parts of the country. So we're syndicated on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. We're also now syndicated on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of Northern or North Carolina and Kentucky. So we're excited about how God is using this program and how it's growing and, and new stations are picking it up and we're being heard in different parts of the country. So if you're call, you know, if you're listening in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, if you're listening in Tennessee and parts of uh, North Carolina and Kentucky, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have you call in or text us with a question and let us know that you're listening to the show. Just a heads up that those of you listening on Hope FM and Truth FM outside of the Front Range Colorado Mountain area, uh, you're hearing the show on a one-week delay, but we'd still love for you to call in. So what you get to do is actually something maybe even better than some of our local listeners get to do, is that you get to call in, and then you get to tune in a week later, and you get to hear yourself on the radio, and you can hear how strange your voice sounds. Sometimes I actually listen back to myself, and I'm like, man, my voice does not sound like that in my head, but apparently that's how I actually sound. So anyway, I'm glad you tuned in today, and we're excited to be uh, having... Uh, our show syndicated and broadcast on the East Coast and now in um, the Appalachian region. So very exciting. I want to give a big hello also to everyone who listens online. I know there are people out on the West Coast and people even in different countries who listen to this show online. Uh, you you know you tune in via the app. We even have it's a podcasted. Some of the episodes are podcasted. We can search those on the iTunes Store. So we are so glad that you tune in, whether it's on your browser or on your app or in your car over the internet. So welcome to the program, everybody who's listening. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. And the number to text, if you'd like to text in, is 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Here at the beginning of the show is always a good time to call in uh, or text us. You have a good likelihood of getting on the air. And we always give preference to people who call, so we'd love to have you call in and love to hear from you. We see the calls are already coming in, but just before we get started, I'll tell you a few things about myself for those of you who might not know me. I get to host every Monday here on Calvary Live, and it's just been a great honor and privilege and, and something I've really enjoyed, getting to talk to so many people and answer Bible questions and pray with people and give advice. Um, so I'm with you here every Monday, but this show airs live every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time. And a little bit about myself. Again, my name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is a church in Longmont, Colorado. We're affiliated with Calvary Chapel, even though it's not in our name. 
and our church meets in downtown Longmont. So for those of you who are familiar with the city of Longmont, we are at the corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak Avenue. We're in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is kind of a historic building here in Longmont, very well-known place. The St. Vrain Memorial Building on the corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak, that puts us right on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. So we'd love for you to come and visit us if you are in Longmont or in any of the surrounding towns, you know, whether it's uh, Frederick, Firestone, Decono area, or it's Berthoud or Lyons or even North Boulder and Lafayette, Erie. We'd love for you to come and check us out sometime. You can always check us out ahead of time at whitefieldschurch.com. That's our website, whitefieldschurch.com. And our services are at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings there in the Memorial Building in downtown Longmont. You can also hear me every day, every weekday on Grace FM. We have a show that airs called Life in the Field, which represents our belief that we are living out God's mission in his mission field. And so what, what does that mean to live our lives on God's mission field? That's the lens through which we study the scriptures every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So I had some people, we had some snow yesterday here in Colorado and the roads were pretty slick here in Longmont. And so I had a uh, a number of people who came to church, but they got to church late, and they said, wow, I didn't realize that you're on at 10 a.m., but today, because I was late to church, driving in the snow, I actually heard you at 10 a.m. So if for whatever reason you're in your car at Sunday morning, uh, on Sunday morning at 10 a.m., tune into Grace FM. You can hear me on there, and those are our sermons from uh, Sunday mornings cut for the radio, and then again, every weekday at 2.30 p.m. we're on as well so let's go to our call in line we've got jason on line one in littleton colorado hi jason welcome to the program hi there thank you well i just had a prayer request for my daughter uh i know i called in about eight days ago praying for her she just had her fourth heart surgery wow yeah so she's been in the intensive care unit for the past five weeks so I know she made it through the surgery, but it's still a rough recovery, so I was hoping to pray for her. Yeah, can you tell me a little bit about her? I'm just curious. How old is she? Oh, oh yeah, she's two years old. Wow. So she's already had four open-heart surgeries now. And uh, right now, she's working on recovery. Uh, her kidneys are haven't restarted after her surgery three weeks ago, so she's still on dialysis and assisted with air for her lungs and everything so okay what's her name ashlyn ashlyn awesome yeah absolutely i'd love to pray for her let's do that heavenly father we pray for jason and his daughter lord pray for ashlyn we thank you lord that you have kept her life intact and you have kept her alive lord thank you for wonderful doctors and the the medical professionals, Lord, that you have provided for her and the care that you've provided for her. Lord, I pray for her. Just four surgeries at two years old on her heart. So um, so scary, that is, Lord, having to open up such a little girl. And so, Lord, we pray for Ashlyn, Lord, that you would preserve her life. Lord, that you would give her health and strength. Lord, we ask for healing for her body from these surgeries, but also just in general, Lord, that you would heal her body from whatever problems might exist, whatever uh, things might be out of place or needing repair. Lord, we pray for her kidneys, even now, Lord, that you would touch her body, that her kidneys would restart, and um, 
Lord, thank you that she's been able to be on dialysis, that, that you provided for her in this way. But Lord, we ask that her body would function, Lord, the way you made it to. So we ask, Lord, that you would touch her divinely, that her kidneys would restart, Lord, and that you would heal her body from these surgeries and, and from any problems that, that are found in her body. Lord, we just ask that she would grow up to know you and walk with you, that she would love you. Pray for her parents, Lord, that you give them patience and faith. Lord, we pray that you'd give them just continued courage as they go through this and, and they, they take their daughter to the hospital and, and see her there. So, Lord, we ask that you would provide also for them with people who come around them and provide for them and take care of them and help them out as a family. So we bless them in Jesus' name. We bless Ashlyn and we ask for your healing touch on her body in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Jason, you know, I have a two-year-old daughter myself and uh, I'll be continuing to pray for you. Awesome. Thank you. It's definitely been a long journey, but at least the end is in sight. I hope. I hope so. All right. Awesome. God bless you. Thank you. God Talk bless you, you too. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, on the air with you today, taking your calls and texts. We have open lines right now. The number to call is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. I'll just uh, tell you a little bit about what we've been studying at Whitefields. This um, past Sunday, so we've been studying through the letter to the Hebrews, and it's just been a great study. And I've talked to so many people in our church who said, you know, they've never actually studied through the book of Hebrews before in church. And so I'm so excited to be able to do that. And we've been doing it for a couple months now. We took two breaks in the middle of it to kind of break it up and do different things around the holidays and things like that. But now we're really getting towards the end of the book. And this past Sunday, so yesterday, we started looking at Hebrews chapter 11, which is the very famous passage that talks about the hall of faith where basically you know the the writer is saying in the book that you know contrary to you know contrary to the way that a lot of these people thought the way that god is pleased the way that we please god the way that we're made right with god is not through ritualistic sacrifice you know for them it was jewish sacrifices and the jewish traditions and i think we still have kind of thinking in our lives today. We think, you know, on the one hand, you have the really formal high church types of sacrifices and, and rituals, I guess you would call them. Things like going to confession, things like, uh, you know, taking certain vows or rites of passages at certain times of life, or praying certain prayers a certain number of times in repetition. I think there are also more informal types of rituals that we think make us right with God, even down to really good things like, uh, you know, reading our Bibles, praying. We can turn those into rituals, which we believe makes us right with God or garners favor with God. Um, but what this uh, chapter in Hebrews is telling us is that it's not rituals that please God. It's not rituals that make us right with God. It's actually faith. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for faith. And then he takes us in Hebrews 11. Well, at the end of Hebrews 10, he says, the righteous shall live by faith. He's quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2. And that's quoted three times in the Bible. But in Hebrews, the emphasis is on living. So he says the righteous will live by faith. And then the question you would ask if you were dialoguing with him would be, well, what does that even mean? What does it mean to live by faith? And he says, I'm glad you asked. 
And then he takes you to uh, that next section, Hebrews 11, where he takes you through on a journey through the Old Testament, where he shows you people of faith and how all of the Jewish heroes, they, the reason why God was pleased with them, the reason why they were great wasn't because of ritual sacrifices and, and ordinances and things like that. It was because they walked by and they lived by and they practiced and they had faith. And so we looked at this section yesterday, and it was just a, a great section. We're going to be continuing it next week, um, this coming Sunday, as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17, where we talk about Abraham offering up Isaac and, um, and all of these other people, Moses and the people of Israel getting into Jericho and Rahab, this unexpected hero, right? She's a prostitute, and, yet, and she lies but somehow she's considered a hero of the faith, and how does that work? We have some calls in the meantime. I'll come back to this topic, but let's uh, deal with our callers first. So let's go to line two where we've got uh, Dustin on line two. Um, not sure where he's from. Hey, Dustin, how are you doing? Hi, uh, how are you doing, uh, Pastor? Uh, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore, um, Maryland. Good to have you. Oh, thank you, thank you. How's everything over there? Uh, it's a little cold. <laughs> Yeah, same here, same here. But uh, March is uh, marching on. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Um, I have a question. Uh, in Revelations 10, it says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as a pillar of fire. And he had in his, uh, little, uh, his hand a little book upon he sat his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth, and when he cried, seven thunders, some thunders uttered their voices. Now, I, you know, I'm pretty sure you got this question a lot. People would say, was this the Lord or was this an angel? And, of course, it says it's an angel. My question is, is why would an angel be uh, posing as Christ? Yeah, well, that assumes that the angel is posing as Christ. Can you tell me why you believe he's posing as Christ? Because he, uh, it says that, um, uh, wait a minute, uh, his face was like the sun and his feet as a pillar of fire, which mm -hmm. it says with God, his face was like the sun and his feet were a, a pillar of fire. And then also when it says... He his uh he roared like a lion and seven thunders uttered his voices which uh Christ roars like a lion and and many voices of thunder come out of his uh, mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know I am looking at that text as we speak. I really don't think this is the Lord Himself, um, and so when you say that it. He's posing as the Lord. I guess I would just say I'm not sure that that's what it's saying um, because so his faith was, face was like the sun. So at the end of the book of Revelation, we see that in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, that there is no sun to give us light because the Lord himself is our light. So if that might be what you're referring to or, or maybe when Jesus was transfigured and his face shone brightly or when God, you know, shone on Moses and his face was was his countenance or his presence was so bright that it caused Moses to have this like, you know, glorious sunburn that reflected the glory of God. Um, and his pillar his legs like pillars of fire. I assume you are thinking that that is a reference to like in the book of Exodus when God led the children of Israel 
uh, well, a pillar I mean, of fire no, I mean, by it's day? In, it's in Revelations, too, where it's either like a pillar of fire and fine brass. Mm-hmm. But then again, I know that his angels are uh, ministers of flame and fire, so, I mean, right. that, that could reference, I guess, that to that. Well, I guess the reason why I would say that I don't think this is a reference to that is simply because, um, because later on in this story, you know, Jesus does come. And it describes him coming. And, um, and so that's, all, that's really the only reason why I don't think this is... Uh, I, th- I do believe this is an angel, a mighty angel, but I don't believe it's the right. Lord himself. That's my only reason for thinking that. You know, I, well, I get no, where you're coming no, from. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I knew it wasn't the Lord. I was just saying, why was an angel making himself kind of look like the Lord? I mean, I know that God sends angels when he when um god talks to uh, people in dreams or in the visions you know he sends angels to do it you know so i mean maybe this angel was kind of like being as the lord but not himself really so that's why i was just saying i know it wasn't the lord i'm just saying you know why was an angel you know posing so closely to the lord you know Right, having some of the very similar features, I, I get that. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing that has to be taken into account here is that there are times in the Bible where it talks about a particular angel, and that angel is, in fact, the Lord, right? It speaks of the angel of the Lord. I think it, one thing that people often overlook is that the word angel in Greek is angelos, and that word literally means messenger. And so... I think it's important that we kind of read that word, angel, that we understand that we read it as messenger. So we see another messenger came down from heaven, wrapped, and obviously this is a spiritual being, not a human being, and this spiritual being resembles God in some ways. He's a mighty angel, it says, and um, he sets one foot on the sea, one foot on the land. So obviously this is, uh, you know, painting a very dramatic picture. I think that there are times when we see the angel of the Lord showing up, but those are often Christophanies. And I'm trying to think of a time in the New Testament where the angel of the Lord is referred to and it's actually an appearance of Jesus. And I can't think of one off the top of my head. You know, maybe there's some of our callers who, or some of our listeners who can think of one that I can't. But whenever I can think of the angel of the Lord coming and it being a reference to Jesus, uh, those are all in the Old Testament before Jesus is revealed. Right. Right. Okay. Well, you answered my question. I thank you very much, and you have a good day, Pastor. Awesome. God bless you. God bless you. All right. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, on the air with you today, taking your calls and texts. We'd love to hear from you. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720 720- Three three six zero eight nine seven. Let's go to line one, where we've got Tracy in Westminster, Colorado. Hi, Tracy. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, absolutely. What's going on? Um, I am a homeschool mom, and so I get to teach my children as well as my niece. Um, so with that, we get to do Bible study and um, just learn a lot of stuff about God's Word. Um, my husband and my niece's father are not believers, so we get a lot of conversations going about um, just God's truth and His Word, 
And so to kind of make sure that it's God's Word and not my Word versus, you know, their Word, um, we always look back to the Bible and, and where it says in the Bible and what the Bible tells us is true or relates to a question that she has. Um, and she's wonderful. She she has a great relationship with her father and talks to him about it. But lately, he's been having a lot more, um, I guess, uh, disagreements as far as his belief in the Bible, that he doesn't believe that the Bible is true. He feels like there's errors. He doesn't feel like um, it's just to be trusted. And so the next step I kind of want to move towards that I feel like God's put on my heart is to really be able to look more into the inerrancy of the Bible. And I didn't know if you had any resources um, directly towards children would be awesome, but if not, even just for myself to learn so that then I could um, focus on that and maybe even also from a secular view as far as like historical um, findings, things like that to help uh, just give her some answers, I guess. Yeah, that's great. You know, I am, I, I, again, I'm going to reach out to our listening audience. Just, I would like somebody to call in and give a recommendation of a good book about trusting the Bible because I, you know, what's funny, I've been in seminary now for eight years. Um, I do it at the same time that I'm pastoring. And I have a lot of resources on the topic, but they're not accessible. Like, they're not easy reads (laughs) at Mm -hmm. all. And I, I wouldn't really think that they're, maybe the most helpful to you. And so uh, the things, you know, I would I would recommend or that I have in my own library here are a bit much. Um, I teach a class at our church. It's actually going on tonight as well. So we're doing six weeks. So this evening will be the third week out of six. And that class is on church history. And maybe the most important part of the class is the part that deals with the canonization of the scriptures you know where do we get our bible from and how was it developed because there are a lot of misnomers about that as i'm sure you know it sounds like a lot of these are being brought up to you and being you know it'd be great to be able to refute them i have one really good article that i would like to send you so maybe if you could talk to our uh, producer right after i get off the air with you and just give him your email address and then he'll give it to me and i can send you this article it is by uh, Vox Theologica, and it is kind of a scholarly article, but it really goes through the entire process of canonization and really tells you how it happened and, and why you can trust in the inerrancy of the Bible. Um, so that's where I'm going to leave you with, and I, I'm actually going to do some research while I'm off the air and during our break, and I'm going to try and find you a good uh, resource that's you know readable, and something you can share with your kids um, about why you can trust the Bible. I'd like to be able to find, well, okay, here's here's one that I'm looking at right now. This is from Ravi Zacharias Ministries, and I generally really like him. I think that he's really good. Uh, but again, this is an article. Yeah, so I would like to have a book that I could recommend to you, something that I could recommend to our readers. So if there's anyone listening right now, um, you can call or text in with a recommendation for a book about trusting in the inerrancy or the infallibility of the Bible and why that's why that's important, but also not only that, why we can trust in it. Now, I can give you some um, anecdotal reasons and I can give you some proofs just off the top of my head right now. Um, but then I would like to provide you with some kind of resource. So if you could just make sure that you talk to the producer after we get off the air, that'd be great. But I'll tell you a few reasons why we can trust in the Bible. And I think one of the biggest reasons 
is um, the composition of the Bible, number one, and number two, the content of the Bible. And I'll break that section into two parts. So let's talk about the composition of the Bible. Now, if you look at the Bible, the Bible is not one book. It is a collection of books, 66 books, um, written over a period of about 1,600 years. And it was written by about 40 different authors on three different continents in two to three different languages. There's some debate over that. I would say three because I think you count Aramaic as a separate language as well. So um, you say three languages and, you know, written on three different continents over the course of 1,600 years by about 40 different authors um, who most of them had no contact with each other and many of them didn't even know about all of the writings that the other ones had produced. Some of them were produced at the same time, just in different places by people who didn't know each other. So it's not like these people had the chance to sit down and make sure that all their facts matched up. And yet the Bible comes together and it, it produces this whole unique story that uh, is not contradicting itself. So where there are contradictions and errors, we should say that. So that's the kind of misnomer with the term inerrant. Now we need to understand that the Bible in its original form, I do believe, is inerrant and, and lacking um, you know, contradictions and lacking uh, mistakes. Now, there are some in the translations as it was translated through time. So, like, for example, you'll find in the book of Chronicles, there's an extra zero added at one place where in another book of the Bible, that same story is mentioned and it is mentioned with one less zero. So is that the problem of the text being fallible or is that the problem of the people who are copying forgetting to make a zero? So there are one or two instances like that in the Bible. But, you know, one of the biggest proofs we have that the Bible hasn't changed is actually found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were found fairly recently, you know, in the 20th century. They were found in Israel, in Qumran. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, what they show us is that the Old Testament books that they cover, like the book of Isaiah was found and some other Old Testament books, they were preserved in this cave, you know, in an arid climate. And so these are like really, really old documents. They're the oldest Old Testament documents that we have available to us. And what they show us is that the New Testament, or sorry, the Old Testament as we have it today hasn't changed from that time. There are a few uh, differences in them, and most of them are grammatical, meaning like there's an extra comma or a lack of a comma. But beyond that, there's no content change. Um, when it comes to the content of the Bible, then I think here's the other part that's really important to remember. The Bible is not just uh, one book, like I said, or it's not just a collection of books that tell us random things about God, but it's actually a story. So if you look at the Bible, it forms a cohesive story, and that story is all about God's redemption of the world through Jesus. And, and it's like that from the very beginning. And so just the idea that this book was written by all these different people over this vast amount of time, and yet there's this incredible cohesion to it. It doesn't contradict itself, and it comes together like a big puzzle. It's like everybody was making their own little piece of the puzzle, and then you come together, you put the puzzle together, and it forms one big picture. And that so that's part of the uh, content of the Bible. And the last thing I'll say on content, we're about one minute away from our break, and I'll let you go, is that when it comes to content of the Bible, one of the biggest proofs of the Bible is the fulfilled prophecies. So there are hundreds of prophecies that are in the Old Testament that were fulfilled. Now, they're not all about Jesus. Many of them are about Jesus. But for example, I, 
again at this we do the school of ministry here at our church at Whitefields and we taught a class on the minor prophets and so you look at the book of Zechariah and the book of Zechariah is full of prophecies which were fulfilled in the years you know decades and you know a couple you know 10 20 years after the book was written and fulfilled amazingly to the point where some people who don't believe in the supernatural and they don't believe in God inspiring scripture look at that and they say well this book must have been written after those things took place because how could someone have possibly known that and the answer is well of course they knew it because God himself um, was the one who inspired it we're going to go to break right now in about 30 seconds uh, there's so much on this topic that I'd love to share with you and I'd love to get you a resource so if you could just uh, talk to our producer get me your email address I'd love to do that we'll be back right after this break you're listening to Calvary Live Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm with you today and every Monday taking your calls and texts live on the air. I'd love to hear from you, so do give us a call. We've got two open lines right now. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. I'd like to take the opportunity real quick here at the beginning of the second half of the show to invite those of you who are in the Longmont, Colorado area to come visit us at Whitefields Community Church in Longmont. We're a Calvary Chapel affiliated church. And if you are in the Longmont area, we'd love to have you come visit us and, uh, and be our guest our website for you to check us out. You can listen to our teachings, read about stuff that's going on in our church, those kind of things. Our website is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And you can also hear me here on the radio every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Grace FM in Colorado and up and down the Front Range. So right before we went to the break, we had a call from Tracy who was asking about resources um, that can help with the topic of why can we trust the Bible? Why can we believe that the Bible is truly the Word of God and that it's trustworthy, that it's infallible, and that it's inerrant? And so I asked our callers to uh, write in, and I had a few uh, write in with different resources, but I was able to also find some really good ones online during the break. So Tracy, if you're still listening or anyone who's listening and would like some kind of resource on that topic, I found two books that I think I can wholeheartedly uh, get behind and that are also readable. You know, So I was saying that I, I have some materials on this, but man, they're really just not readable. Uh, they're, they're a little bit too heady and these kind of things. But here are two that are really accessible and really good short books that are that cover the main points of the topic. The first one is Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible, and that's by Erwin Lutzer. So Erwin Lutzer, Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible. You can Google that and check that out. And the other book is by, it's part of the Nine Marks series, which is a great series of Bible basics and Christian basics. And the book is called why Trust the Bible, and it's by Greg Gilbert. So Why Trust the Bible by Greg Gilbert. 
and the other one was Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible by Erwin Lutzer. I have looked through those just briefly, but I think that I can wholeheartedly recommend those for anybody who's interested in that topic, including Tracy, and I got your email address, so I'm going to send you those in an email as well. Let's go to line two, where we've got Ryan in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Ryan. Oh, hi there, Pastor Nick. Thanks for the call. I like your style. I listen to you at 2.30 on Grace FM. Awesome. Uh, I just wanted to put in the recommendation for the last caller. Yeah. Uh, someone that I trust that went to Calvary Chapel and under Pastor Chuck for many years, and he's got a he's on ninety five point three from three to four p.m. taking phone calls just like Calvary Live, but he's got a website called the Narrow Path dot okay. com, and if you go to his topical lectures, it's all free. Uh, you go to his uh, authority on Scripture, and he. Uh, it's like an uh, MP3 style that uh, he breaks everything down uh, for you. He, I think he goes for maybe an hour and a half talking about it or so, but I haven't heard the whole thing, but I trust him. And he, he actually really knows the Word of God quite well, and he's been doing it for about 50 years. Awesome. So that's so the narrowpath.com. Perfect. And uh, under topical lectures, you can hear his program on the radio on there. They've got the radio show archived every day. It's out here. It's it's out of California, Temecula, California, but he's uh, it's a really good show at 95.3 on uh, 3 to 4 p.m. where he just he just takes Bible questions. And then I also had a question for you, if you could. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just wondering about the Mosaic Law and the ceremonial law, well, the, the whole Mosaic Law and the ceremonial law, how Christ gave the great uh, commandment of uh, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul, or something that affected love your neighbor as yourself, or love love one another. Yeah. I forget exactly how it goes. I should know it, but I'm going to have okay. to look it up. But um, didn't have to, I'm, not, I'm, I'm on the job. But uh, how he gave that and fulfilled the law, and does that, does that then put us under the Mosaic Law, the moral law, the, the uh, Ten Commandments, or does that just take out the ceremonial laws? Um, that we're under, are we still under the the moral law of the Ten Commandments, or do we just fulfill those, and then we then fulfill all the Ten Commandments if we take what Jesus said with those great that great commandment, um, the only two that he kind of gave in the Bible? Yeah, that's a really good question that you're asking. Um, I think it's a fair question, and I think it's one that a lot of Christians overlook. You know, we can get into, you know, I think that... Uh, a lot of our churches nowadays, we 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 um, focus a lot on grace, which is absolutely right, and we should focus on grace. But we can do it to the point of what becomes called antinomianism, and antinomianism is just a big fancy word that means that we are against the law. Like we view the law or any statement that says you should do this or should not do that as negative and bad and even opposed to Christianity. And uh, that that's really not the case. You know, what's interesting is that um, we've been developing a kind of a, a video series that we're going to be starting to put out. It's kind of a video blog type of series, instructional videos, and our first one comes out this Wednesday. And so that's going to be on our church website. It's going to be on my personal website, which is nickkady.org. And uh, it's kind of based off of some articles that I've written lately because I get questions here on the radio and, you know, just in church. And so... Uh, the question you're asking is a really good one. Is it, Are we under the law? And one of the topics you brought up is, you know, obviously there are different kinds of laws. 
And I think that's something that a lot of people don't recognize. They say, okay, well, what does that even mean? The law, is the law just the Ten Commandments? Because there were actually 613 laws in the Old Testament. And so how are we to understand those laws and how we understand how we are to relate to those different laws? So I wanted to answer one of your other questions first, and that was the one about... Oh, now I forget what it was. Okay, I'll just I'll just go on this topic, and if you you remember what it yeah. is and I don't cover it, then you make sure I get to it, okay? All right, okay. so here's the thing. John Calvin was a, a smart guy. And what John Calvin did, he was a reformer in the 16th century, and he said he, he broke the uh, 613 Old Testament laws. He said they actually are divided up three different ways. And not this wasn't just his idea. He said if you look at the New Testament, the New Testament and Jesus himself – breaks up the, the Old Testament laws into three different categories. Now, you mentioned some of them. There's the moral laws, there are the ceremonial laws, and then there's a third category called the civil laws. Okay, so civil laws were the ones that governed the nation of Israel. They kind of dealt with behaviors, and they dealt with punishment for crimes. Then you had the ceremonial laws, which were about clean and unclean things, right? These would be like laws about food, laws about touching dead bodies, things like that. Things that make you ceremonially clean and unclean. So it's ritual practices, sacrifices, etc. Then you had the, this other category, which we, you also mentioned, the moral laws. And the moral laws declared what God deemed to be right and wrong, such as the Ten Commandments are a great or perfect situation where we talk about moral laws. But they're not the only moral laws. There are other moral laws also in the Old Testament law. Now, for the people of Israel, all three of those types of laws were kind of blended together. Like when you knit your fingers together, it's kind of like you couldn't totally separate them in their situation. Because if you broke a moral law, then that would often have a ceremonial consequence. And it might have a civil consequence. You might go to jail for it. You might you know, be stoned to death for it. Now, we live in a very different situation. So they lived in a situation which was called a theocracy, which means that God was their God, but he was also their king and their, their sovereign or their ruler of their entire society. And so we live in a very different situation where we have a separation of church and state. And because that's the case for us, our relationship to the civil laws is different, right? So the civil laws don't directly apply to us. I think that, that that part is at least clear. A lot of people don't take issue with the civil laws. Um, but the ceremonial laws, right, like things like not eating shellfish, for example, um, those were laws which, on the one hand, uh, were fulfilled by Jesus in the sense that in Jesus we become clean, right? He is the one who makes us clean, washes away our sins, and yet, we, we should realize that some of those ceremonial laws were actually given, uh, they were thoughtful, they were merciful, because in the ancient world where you didn't have a refrigerator in your house, and people didn't understand things like microbes and bacteria, uh, or, you know, little organisms mm -hmm. that live in pork, you know, it actually saved their lives many times throughout history. That's why the Jews did not contract the bubonic plague in the same way that uh, other people did, because Jews had cleanliness laws and things that they kept and so that actually ended up being a huge blessing for them as they were obedient to God even though they didn't understand maybe even why they were supposed to keep these laws. So the ceremonial laws illustrate God's holiness and our uncleanness but they're fulfilled in Jesus um, and we become ceremonially clean or acceptable before God because of what Jesus did for us. His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 
Now, that gets to the issue that you asked about, about moral, moral laws. Now, here's what you, we, we want to understand about moral laws. Moral laws were all fulfilled by Jesus. So Jesus fulfilled the moral laws. And here's the reason why moral laws don't change with time. So sometimes people will accuse Christians of kind of picking and choosing. You know, they'll, they'll look at how we, we might look at what the Old Testament law says about certain sexual practices and we'll say, well, look, the law says that those things are wrong. But then we'll look at the next verse, you know, that says don't wear clothes of mixed fibers. And then, you know, if you check your shirt, it's a poly cotton blend. And so technically you would be breaking the, the Mosaic law if you did that. And so Christians sometimes get accused of being hypocrites or picking and choosing, you know, why do you keep one law in the Mosaic law and affirm that one, but you deny another one and say, well, that was for times gone by. Well, here's the reason, because there's three different kinds of laws and they're all mixed together in that group. So you have to take each law and say, okay, is this ceremonial? Is this civil or is this moral? Now, the moral laws reflect God's character. And since God's character is unchanging, since he doesn't change in who he is, neither does morality. Okay, so morality is not something that is subject to change over time because morality is tied to the character of God. In fact, whenever Jesus talked about morality or moral laws, he either reaffirmed those laws and said, yes, they're still applicable, or he even intensified them. Like you can see that in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, right? So Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you even look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you have committed adultery in your heart. If you've, you know, you should not murder. But if you look at someone, you hate them in your heart, then you've committed murder in your heart. So what Jesus is doing is he's affirming the law and he's actually intensifying it because the moral laws don't change with time. But here's the thing I would tell you as to your question. Now you ask the question, um, if Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and on these two hinge all the laws and the prophets, yeah. does that mean that we still need to keep the Mosaic law, that we're still under the law? And my answer to you would be this, that we have already broken that law. Like we have broken that covenant. And be, But here's the good news. Jesus kept the covenant. And so we get the blessings of the covenant in him. If we are in him, like meaning that if we if we have our faith and our trust and our identity in him, then we get the blessings of the covenant because he took the curse of breaking the covenant on our behalf. We're the ones who broke it, yet he bore the curse for us on the cross. That's the message of the gospel. But it's not just that. It's also that we get the then the blessings of his keeping the covenant. And, and that's imputed to us by God. And so what that means is that we are not under the law of Moses in that sense. The law of Moses exists to do... Uh, let's say the moral laws exist, I would say, to do three things in our lives now. Number one, they point us to our need for a savior. They show us that we have failed to keep the moral laws. We have not loved God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength. And we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And, you know, and you can go through the Ten Commandments and you can see, well, have you ever lied? Have you ever skipped church? You know, have you ever used God's name as a curse word? Have you ever, uh, you know, disrespected your parents? And somewhere along the line, you have done at least one of them, but most likely you've done all of them. And mm -hmm. the point being yes. this, the law points us to our need for a Savior.
But I think if we stop there, we haven't really honored the full purpose of the law. The law also points us to okay. Jesus as the fulfiller of the law. So as we look to the law, we see that Jesus fulfilled the law, so that causes us to look to him and glory in him all the more. I love Philippians chapter 2. It says that we, this is what it means to be a Christian. It means to put no confidence in the flesh. It means to worship God in the spirit. And it means to glory in Christ Jesus. So we put no confidence in the flesh and we glory in Christ Jesus. So then it also reveals God's character. It shows his glory. But I think the one way that's often overlooked, which I think you're kind of hitting on, which is really good, is that for the person who's been redeemed, you've been set free from trying to keep God's law as a way to earn his favor because that favor has been given to you as a gift in Christ. What the law is for us, it becomes kind of a playbook, right, by which a redeemed person uses to, to bring God pleasure. Like, for example, I know that my wife likes, you know, certain things, right? Like, um, I don't know, she likes, you know, I like, I know what she likes, and I know what she doesn't like. And because I know what she likes, I think, oh, well, now that I know what she likes, I'm not, when I do something that she likes, I'm not doing it to manipulate her. I'm doing it because I love her and I want to bring joy and, and pleasure to her heart and to her life. And so as a, as a redeemed person, I can look at God's law and I can say, well, God takes pleasure in these things and he doesn't take pleasure in these things. And because I love God, I want to bring pleasure to God. Therefore, I'll do these things and not do these things. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for elaborating. I know, you know, that, um, you know, I just, I was going to touch on, but you, I don't want to spend all the time, but, you know, he had touched a dead body and, and he said that he fulfilled all the law, but really he just fulfilled, it sounds like you said, a moral law. And then we are holy and blameless under him because he kept the moral law. So we keep the moral law with our faith in him. But the ceremonial laws and things of that nature, he technically didn't always fulfill. Is that correct or no? Well, I don't actually agree with that. Um, I, you bring up a really good point. I really think these are great questions you're asking. Um, I'll I tell just you think this: because though. he touched the dead body and did some other things, maybe. That, uh, well, yeah, he touched a leper. Somehow. Yeah, touching a okay. leper would have made you unclean. Do you remember the time when that woman who had a flow of blood, a hemorrhage, she reached out and touched Jesus? That by itself would have made Jesus unclean. You know, he touched a couple dead bodies, right? And he. He um, touched lepers. All of those things by the ceremonial law would have made you unclean. Now, the question is, did that mean that Jesus did not keep the ceremonial law? That is certainly what the Pharisees accused him of. They said, how can this man be a good man? I mean, look at him. He made himself unclean. But Jesus said, no, like you remember, he used this example. He said, if your donkey fell into a pit on the Sabbath, would you just leave it there to suffer? In other words, the Sabbath was created for man's benefit. Man wasn't created for the Sabbath, right? right? And, and the same thing goes, when you see Jesus, that speaks of his glory, that when Jesus touches things that are unclean, they become clean, which means that Jesus, he is, you know, the fulfillment of yeah. these things. He's which, like the police out there that can speed and do over the speed limit with the sirens on. But uh, the rest, perhaps, the, the perhaps rest of the, the Hebrews really couldn't to a degree. Is that well? That kind of what? Well, I I guess I agree with that to a degree. But I would say okay. more so is that Jesus was so clean, so ceremonially clean that he could not become unclean by touching that dead body. In fact, 
he touched an unclean thing and it became clean. And therefore, okay. he's no longer breaking the rules, right? You know, yeah, he touches okay. a dead body and it comes to life. Therefore, it's no mm -hmm. longer a dead body. So okay. that's how I, I would see that. And I think that's actually just well, thank you so much. glory. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks yeah. for the call. All right, God bless you. Bye-bye. Right, You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady on the air with you today, taking your calls and texts, your calls about the Bible or anything that's going on in your life, uh, prayer requests. We'd love to hear from you. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Bill on line one. Hi, Bill. Hey, uh, Pastor Nick. Got a dilemma. I don't know really how to respond to this. Uh, one of my nephews is uh, is gay. I guess that's the best term for it. Uh, and he has announced he's getting married. And I've been invited. My wife and uh, you know our whole family's invited to this. And um, you know I'm biblically, morally opposed now. At the same time, uh, this uh, young man ha has always been very respectful. He, you know, I, I have a high regard for him, uh, but I'm really concerned, you know, for his spiritual state. Uh, and uh, my family, uh, my family knows, uh, I come from a fairly large family, and I have been outspoken uh, about my faith. And uh, it's just a hard thing for me to decide how to handle this. I, I feel I'm inclined that I, I don't want to attend. So anyway, I was just going to get your thoughts on how you would approach that. Yeah, you know, that's the topic that um, a lot of people are dealing with. I'm sure you're not the only one. So I'm sure that some of our listeners have... Um, have done, you know, have had to deal with this question. Furthermore, I think it's a question that more and more, increasingly, we're going to all be facing. And so here's here's kind of the way I would pose it to you. I take it that you, you know, you, this nephew of yours is not a professing Christian. Is that correct? He's never shown a rebellion to me uh, any time we've had any uh, discussions. I haven't really uh, discussed a lot of personal, like I, I've prayed, or I, I've been at funerals, and I've spoken, and uh, he's commended uh, the message, and it, you know, they've, it's always been a, a pure biblical message that I've shared, yeah. so he's never really expressed opposition to it. At the same time, he's never expressed any faith, uh, so right. I don't okay. think he is a believer. Okay, well, I think in a way that makes the situation a lot easier. I think if he was a believer, I would probably recommend, you know, or I would put it this way. If he claimed to be a believer and he was living in this lifestyle, I would probably recommend you not to go to the wedding. But here's sure. why, um, here's, here's my question to you to contemplate. Have you ever or would you ever go to a wedding of two people who are not Christians, but say, let's say they... They were living in sin before they were married, or you know, you don't necessarily, or let's just say they're not Christians. And um, yeah, I, yeah, I've really, asked myself that question, uh, you know, because 
I've been uh, I, I've, I've attended weddings where my presumption is there's going to be people that are probably going to be drunk out of their minds, and yeah. Um, so you know, there's definitely been sinful environments that I've attended, and that, that's been one of the that's been one of the questions that has run through my mind. Yeah, and so in that sense, here there are two things that come to mind. You know, Paul the Apostle says in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, you know, as Christians, it's our job to judge those in the church, but it's not our job to judge those outside of the church. And so what that means is that um, that we deal with people inside the church or people who are professing Christians differently than the way that we deal with people who are not professing Christians. And that basic attitude we take towards people who are not Christians is, you know, uh, if you put it sure. this way, and I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, that we treat them like heathens. But you know how we sure. treat heathens as Christians? We treat them with a lot of respect, and we treat them with a lot of love, and we treat them with a lot of dignity. That's how we treat heathens as Christians. That's how Jesus treated so-called heathens. That's how the apostles sure. taught us to treat heathens. Not like dirt, not with disrespect. We treat yeah. people who don't share our beliefs with dignity and respect, and we are always looking for opportunities to speak God's truth into their life. And we're looking for those open doors that, that God's going to open in which we're going to have the opportunity to be able to speak the gospel into their life. So I just say that to say this. You know, the fact that your nephew is not a Christian, I think, makes this uh, easier on your part. And I think that if you can ask the question, at the end of the day, this is going to be something that comes down to your conviction. You know, I think that you could, I think that you could be right in doing this either way. But I would want you to just know why you're doing it. So if you're doing it, which it sounds to me like you're struggling because on the one sense, you know, you don't agree with his relationship, what he's doing, this lifestyle he's choosing and showing your presence there. Does that condone it? Does that show that you are in agreement with it? And I don't think it necessarily does. But if you feel that your presence there would do that, then I would tell you that you shouldn't go. On the other hand, if, if you want to continue to say, you know what, I'm going to treat this person like I said earlier as the way that Christians are taught to treat heathens, which is with patience, love, um, lots of dignity, then I would say, I think that you could make the argument that, you know, you could go there. You make it clear that you do not agree with this choice at all. But you want to be there because you love him as a person. And you're uh -huh. keeping the door open for further conversation, further uh, influence in his life. Sure. Because, yeah, yeah if, I, uh, if I take a stand... Uh, then I won't see him in any, uh, you know, if I'm hosting any family events, uh, more than likely they won't, they wouldn't show up. They do now, yeah. uh, which, uh, you know, so you, what you're saying really does make a lot of sense uh, because, you know, we really do expect uh, the unbeliever to act like an unbeliever. Correct. And yeah. uh, and we want to we want to direct them or encourage them to turn from that lifestyle. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, some really good insight. Uh, you gave me some good things to think about. Yeah, I'll give you one more thought. We're coming up on the end of the show, so I'll give you one more thought. Sure. And that is this: um, you know, there's a sense in which uh, we tend to treat homosexuality different than we treat other sexual sin. So, you know, when we see people and, and, you know, I think maybe there's a degree to which we should, but I think sometimes not necessarily or at least not to the degree that we do. So let's put it this way. If you had a heterosexual couple who was living 
in a relationship which the Bible says is sinful. Say they're, they're having sex outside of marriage. You know, we tend to look at that a lot more graciously in our culture than we do homosexuality. But both of those are an aberration. They are a deviation from what God's word says is the sexual ethic. And so I think that's just an important thing to keep ourselves in check over is, um, you know, are we treating sin as sin? And I think that you can say, yes, this is sin. And you can say about heterosexual adultery, that is also sin. And I think that we should treat them both as sin. But I don't think that we need to treat the one as, you know, the ultimate sin. Like, yeah. So I would say that in that sense. That there's a way yeah. in which homosexuality has been treated as the ultimate sin. And I, I will say this, and you know, I'm sure there's people listening who disagree with me, but I believe it is a sin, but I don't believe it's the ultimate sin. Let's put it that way. No, no way would uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the ultimate sin. Correct, yeah. So my thought about it, and this is really great information, I, I think there is some deep darkness. I think a lot of it is rooted in uh, bad fatherhood examples uh, for a lot of these people that I think that they... Uh, that I know them, they didn't really have good fathers, or they didn't have a father that directed them like a father should. Bill, I'm and sorry, but I'm going to have to interrupt you because yeah. we, we've come to the end of our show. Okay. So we've got 30 seconds. Thank you for calling. God bless you. Absolutely. You Take care. You've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'll be with you again next Monday, but you can tune in every weekday and listen to Calvary Live. God bless you. See you next time. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.